the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So we're going to be doing a four-week series through the book of Esther. And we're calling this series A Time As This, pretty much from the famous line in the book. Today we're kicking things off with uh, maybe the question, how could a 180 plus seven days party go wrong? You know, how could that possibly go wrong? If you're gonna party for 180 days, yes, 180 days. I mean, last night, you, you wouldn't be able to believe this. I mean, just the irony is this comes to my head right now. I didn't get any sleep last night because people were partying. So I could hear people at the bus stop frightening and girls going, don't do that, let him go. <laughs> like, and all this screaming and then punching and hitting and then banging into bus stops and stuff. And it only happens like maybe once every six months or something like that that, that I, I hear these wonderful, beautiful sounds. And I think you've just been out on one night, one simple Saturday night in Sutton. You know, it's hardly rags it's on. You're out in Sutton and that is how your night has gone. In the book of Esther, the king has thrown a party for 180 days. That is an absolute madness. And in the end of 180 days, the party's ended, and he's like, you know what we should do? I mean, if it was me, I'd be like, we've done 180 days of partying. I totally need to just chill for a minute. I wouldn't be going, man, we just need seven more days. Seven more days, let's get the gang together, and let's, let's hold it down. So that's exactly what they do. They have seven more days of partying, and all the boys are in one part, all the girls in another. Similar, same venue, same kind of property, but different spaces. You know, when you're a baller like that, it's, you can do those kind of things. And so the king is, is throwing it down, having the most amazing time, everyone is loving it. And then there comes this moment where he just goes to the lads. Like he's, you know, guys get steaming and when they get steaming, they start saying a bit of nonsense and he's steaming. And he's like, guys, my wife is just like, kind of like so banging. Like, and then people have traveled from all over the place and all over the, the empire. And so they're like, no way, never seen her. I've only heard of her beauty, whatever, that kind of thing. And he's like, hey, says to some eunuchs, wait, lads, go and get Queen Vashti to come here right now so that everyone can check her out. She's with all the girls at the other party having an amazing time and she doesn't want to leave. And she doesn't, she knows what he's insinuating and what that's going to be like. And so she gives the big hell to the no. This doesn't go down too well. So what happens is the guys come back and they say to the king, she says hell no. And the king is like a bit taken aback by that situation. He'd never in his drunken state ever thought of the possibility that this scenario would play out this way. But then all the lads that are at the party are like, king, like, I hate to be like a, to bring the atmosphere down a little, but you know, she just did that in front of every single one of the girls. They've all seen her like shut down. She has shut you down. The problem we have is we're all gonna go back to our respective homes at the end of this party and, and all the women have just seen that the king gets shut down by his wife. We're all gonna get shut down. like. All of us are gonna get mugged off. And so then the king, in his steaming state, because he's been partying for so long, can't think things through. And so he kind of goes and, I don't know, goes to Judge Rinder or um, 
Judge Judy starts getting the legal team on this, his lawyers. What do I do? How am I going to rectify this? And they go, well, actually, it turns out that she hasn't just wronged you, she's wronged everybody. So what ends up happening is he kicks her out, kicks her out of the palace, divorces her, cuts her off, and basically says, you didn't come before me this one time, you will never come before me ever, ever again. And she gets deaded. I mean, turn to your neighbor and say, hashtag first world problems. Wow, what, the feeling and the effort from you guys this morning was overwhelming. I don't think I've ever felt more supported than I do right now. Hashtag first world problems. I mean, are we back at assembly? Is that where it's happened? We're in a time, I mean, gee, actually, you know what? That's probably as lame as maybe 300 students in an assembly on a, on a morning. I used to do assemblies and you'd say something like that and they'd just go, Ugh. And you can see somewhere along the line they lost the will to live. So, first world problems. That's the first chapter of the book of Esther, which is a little bit strange because the book is called Esther, named after the main character, and she's nowhere in the story. I don't know if you noticed, we're reading the first chapter of the book of Esther, and Esther is not in the story. We get into chapter two, and one of the key things we find out about Esther, which is how I would have started the story. I would have started the story with this. I would have started the story with Esther was a little girl growing up, war-torn Israel, Babylonians conquered it, her parents somewhere along the way died, and she's this little orphan girl, and her cousin takes her in and treats her as if she were his own daughter. And that's how I would start the book of Esther. I would start it completely orientated around her, her struggle and her situation. But it doesn't. The book of Esther starts in a position where we're looking at a scenario that has nothing to do with anyone of Jewish heritage, has nothing to do with Esther, the main character, and has nothing to do with God. I mean, I reckon for the early readers reading for this first time, they'd have been like, like, okay, okay, when are we going to get to the, when's this going to pick up pace? When's this going to go somewhere? I think one of the key things that happened to me as I've been reading through this passage the last week was the fact that it starts with this, I think was probably one of the most important things in the entire book. And the reason I think that is because so often you and I, we, in life, you just feel like you're running through one brick wall into the next brick wall, into the next brick wall. Do you ever feel that way? Where it's like you just get smashed through that wall and then what do you have to do next? You've got to run straight through another one. You get through one problem, you're straight into the next one. And, and people I know somewhere along the way stop wanting to run through brick walls. There comes a point where they kind of want to give up, where they're going to settle now. I'm so done with trying to run through walls. This is agonizing. I'm just going to settle. I'm just going to kind of give up. And I think when we look at this story and I look at Esther, I think what hits me is we're not even aware at this point that anything is happening here. And I think about the audience that would have read this for the first time. I think for the people this is for for the first time, there are people that have gone through the Babylonian dispersion. They've been conquered, they've been abused, they've been violated, they've been spread out from their people. Their identity is being attacked and who they are. They're away from home. There are people now that when you start to talk about God, the very nature of God, the very idea that God has something good for you, the very idea that God wants to bless you, the very idea that God wants to be with you through your suffering and walk with you is now such an, a distant idea for them that the very idea of someone walking up to them and saying, you know, God's there in the midst of your suffering is so alien and actually offensive to them that God has a book in the Bible for that time 
where he kicks it off by talking about nothing of himself, nothing of them and their suffering, and about something that happens over here. And it's only when we get into the second chapter we start to realize what's happening over here is gonna slowly connect to her story. And the reason why that matters is because you could be going through something right now or in the future where it, you, you just feel isolated in your struggle, isolated in your situation, you feel disconnected from God, you feel alone, you feel away from everything, but actually what this tells us is, even before we get to us and talking about us, God is already working over here with something completely disconnected that he's doing that's gonna change absolutely everything within our lives. So the book of Esther starts off with the people that are bruised and broken, and it doesn't say to them, hey, God says, this is gonna happen. God says that's gonna happen. It doesn't even mention God at all. You just see him slowly at work behind the scenes, setting up the pieces, moving around the chessboard, getting it into play. I wanna encourage every one of us this morning that you know what, maybe God is just moving the pieces. I wanna be suggestive as well today to say that keep running through those brick walls, keep going with it because I want you to know there is a situation that is unfolding. So when your empire is from India all the way across to Ethiopia and into parts of China, what do you do when you have a vacancy? What do you do when, when you've divorced? I'll tell you what you do, you throw the bachelor. Empire edition. And that is exactly what they do. I don't know if you've seen the TV series The Bachelor or Love Island, like this is where this came from. If you've never read the book of Esther, I'm letting you know that a few people have watched it and gone, I know a great reality TV show. <laughs> we, could, we could get a really rich guy with loads of money and um, get a load of girls to compete for him. I think it's an original idea. <laughs> so you've got this guy, the most powerful man and the richest man. So I mean, he makes the bachelor tame because those guys are a few guys that have got, in the international scheme of things, a little bit of money. For me, tons of money. But on the international scene, a little bit of money, and all these beautiful women are chasing after them. This guy is, I don't think there's anyone on earth comparable to him. He has the largest empire, and he has the largest amount of riches. I mean, for crying out loud, if you could throw a 180-day party, and it, it, it says like, if you want to drink, you can. So it's kind of like free booze, but it's for your consideration if you want it or you don't. Free booze, 180 days, and then the remix of seven extra days for the after party of the largest party I've ever heard of. If you can afford to do that, I'm just letting you know, the wedding, we were paying that for a little while afterwards, and that was a considerably small party for a number of hours, 180 days. Man's got pee! <laughs> Mate, if, you, if I was ever invited to a party with a bar tab like that, I'd be dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? There'd be no, if I had to be the one writing this book, I'd have been dead, no one would have read it. Just dead. On day two, probably. Not even like 180. Day two. It's day two in the Big Brother house and Andy is dead from alcohol poisoning. You know what I mean? Finished. So you have an empire this large, so it turns into a bit of a Miss Universe contest with um, the hottest chicks from all over coming, um, virgins as well, to marry the king of the empire. It's a mad thing. It's an absolute mad thing. There's this search on for the absolute perfect woman and this is the point where we finally get introduced to who this book is written about so 
Women from all over the empire have a chance to win. And what I love is, if it had been a TV show in today's world, the first episode would have gone a little bit like this. The cameras are rolling, and Esther is, she's, she's actually made it to the, you know, you know you've made it to the next round. When they start filming an interview, you know you go far in the competition. And if you have the first stop story on X Factor, like, you're gonna be there a while, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter how badly you sing in the next five, six episodes. If you've got that original sob story and you can stay in tune, you're staying, you are staying. So she's in the first ever episode and there's this moment and everyone's watching The Bachelor for the very first time, it's a whole new concept. And there's this, this bit where the camera pans to Esther and she starts to talk about how her mother and her father died in the Babylonian dispersion, the empire that fell to the Persians who now rule. So like, oh, those scumbags are the enemy. So straight away, everyone in the empire is loving this story because it's about the other scumbags that they conquered who did this to them. Oh, this poor, poor girl. She's standing there, she's talking about how she's an orphan, mum and dad died, and how her cousin is the only person she has and how he's raised her since she was a little girl and she's an orphan. And then you just see her have that moment where she holds it in Deep breathing, tear strolls down the left cheek, turning right away from the camera, looking back towards the camera, and then just a little flap of the hands to fan the face, says, I just want to make my cousin proud. The epic music of the orchestra hits the crescendo of the moment, and the viewers are captivated, and everyone has fallen in love with our Esther from Norwich. No. <laughs> From Israel, our Esther. Man, when you read that, that second chapter, you start to go, I've, I've seen this on TV. I've seen this literally happen time and time again. It's an emphatic emotional moment and the audition tape is such gold that the chief eunuch just falls in love with her. He's like, this girl is a cra- this girl's amazing, she's wonderful, she's fabulous. She's got everything it takes to be Britain and America's next top model. She's got everything it takes to make it all the way and win The Bachelor. She's got everything it takes to win Love Island. She's, 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 gonna, she's a star, she's brilliant. So he starts looking after her, taking care of her, like her nutrition, her diet, pampering. She has like a, year's, what, a year of like pampering, just, just non-stop beautification, beautification, beautification. He trains her because there comes a moment where she's gonna get to meet the king, the, the emperor for the first time and she gets to ask for whatever gift she wants and she'll get it. And that is where every diva comes out, isn't it? Like ladies, just think for one moment, if you got the opportunity, you could ask for that one thing, anything you wanted that you want, oh my gosh, they're just you'd have the list there, you'd be going on about Louboutins or, or whatever, you'd be talking about a new house, you'd be talking about the holiday of a lifetime, you'd be laying all of this stuff. But she's been coached not to give the answer for her, but to give the answer for him. And so she has this amazing interaction and he's like, wow, I didn't see that coming. She's incredible, she's amazing. And so he's already decided straight away, The Bachelor, she gets the rose, but she gets the only rose that counts. She's going all the way in this competition. She's crushing it, she's winning it. Now the whole time this is going on, her cousin Mordecai, who has been keeping tabs on how she's doing and where she's at, he's been waiting outside the gates constantly trying to find out little bits and pieces and trying to see her secretly. He's told her, don't let anyone know you're a Jew. Don't let anyone know um, where you're from. Don't let anyone know your identity. Just keep that secret. And, and she's going through the motions and she's doing well in the competition. As he's standing outside the gate, he hears two of the eunuchs talking and they're talking about 
trying to kill the king and assassinate him. And he hears this, and when he sees Esther at the gate, he passes on the message to her to tell the king. And then the king is saved from this plot, and then she lets him know that Mordecai is the one that foiled it. And we're in the second chapter of Esther, and their situations have completely transformed from where they are into a completely different world that they could never, ever have dreamed on. They could never have dreamed this would happen. They could never have perceived that this would happen. There's no way anyone would believe this would happen. And as we're reading through all of this, there's no mention in the story of, of, of anything, of, of prayer, of God, of predestination, or any of these types of things. None of those things are featured in the story. There's just this suggestion that somewhere outside of everything, something, someone is working all things together for good for those who love him. That's, that, that somehow out of the greatest tragedy and the heartbreak of the Babylonian dispersion, God is starting to move and God is starting to do something again. Now, I think there's a lot of people that I've met and spent time with who appeared to me to have this kind of like fantastic relationship with God and then now don't have this fantastic relationship with God. And what generally has happened is their, their ideology, their way of thinking hasn't changed in any way, shape or form. But they've just been through something really, really traumatic and they've struggled to, to rectify the trauma, the pain, the heartache and the notion and the idea that they have of God. And the reason we're going to spend four weeks slowly going through the book of Esther is because there's something so unbelievably powerful about this book. It's the fact that God is at work the whole way through it, yet never directly attributes or claims it. But yet, he claims it enough to say, this is my work, this is my, my volume, and, and, and this is going in amongst the books of the Bible. To the point where I believe today, a lot of us have got friends who've gone through an experience so traumatic, so hurtful, so isolating, filled with so much rejection, so much hurt, so much pain. They've been in a place where they're not looking for some jackass of a preacher to come over and say, here's a great theology for pain and suffering in the world. Boom. Come on back over here. They're in a place where they just need to know, just like this poor little orphan girl who her whole life has just run through brick wall after brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, that actually, regardless of whether you acknowledge or not, God is there in the midst and he's working behind the scenes and he's putting every single one of the pieces together and she could never ever have dreamed that something like this would have been possible. Introducing the winner of The Bachelor 500 BC, Esther. Step up girl, you're the most powerful woman on the face of the earth in your time, in your generation and you are an orphan and a write-off. Today I want to say to you, I want to be bold in suggesting the idea and the notion that the book starts off focused primarily about someone else's story, about someone else's situation, to just let you know to trust God because ultimately you cannot see what is at play right now. I can't stand here to you and say, oh, I know this is happening here, but, but God is just doing this over here. I know, I know right now your kid's being, being, a, being a brat, but over here, God's working out like, like a Harvard scholarship 
I, I, oh, I know that relationship is really, really struggling right now, but over here, God's doing that. Oh, I know that relationship ended, but if you could just know that right around the corner over here, behind door number three is, you know? And then, and then for some of us, it's like, oh, but it looks like in my job, this is happening. In my business, this is happening. Well, if I could just let you know that I can't tell any of you what it is because I don't have a crystal ball. I can't see any of it. I can't even see, I can't see past my own struggles right now. I have no idea, but I just know that somewhere over there, God is focused on starting with that story rather than the position and the perspective I have right now. And I believe in your story. He's already writing and penning your story, but it doesn't start from the point that you think it starts from. It starts from somewhere greater, somewhere more amazing than you ever dreamed or imagined possible. I'm going to pray for us and then I'm going to wrap it up. Father, I thank you that the book of Esther doesn't start even centered around Esther. It starts around the place that you're going to take her to. A place so stupendous and so marvelous that she could never have dreamed. Had this book not been yours to write and yours to lay out as you've chosen to, it could have just followed a linear path of the events from her perspective of how it happened. But when you zoom out and you see the splendor and how these pieces could just never come together in the way they have through just chance. But the overwhelming suggestion that you're at work behind the scenes, I pray that each one of us would find comfort in the fact that you're at work behind our situation and that where we are today is a shadow of where we're going to be and who we're going to be and what we're going to do. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, and I pray that in the weeks ahead as we start to see that out of the greatest pain and suffering, some of the greatest stories of liberation are made possible. I pray, Father, that this week would be a week where you start to set us free from our anxiety, our pain and our hurt and find comfort in the fact that you are working behind all these things and going ahead of us in all these things. I pray, Father, that as the weeks develop, Father, we will start to not just see our own situation, but see outward to those around us. That what starts off with our pain will lead to us liberating others, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yeah.